Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with future doctor, Jake Goodman. Before I say anything else, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to get us started? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Steph. My name is Jake Goodman. I am a fourth-year medical student and an MBA. I'm also the CEO and founder of my clothing company, Mental Health Movement which is a clothing company on a mission to normalize and destigmatize mental health in hopes that people will talk about their mental health and therefore seek treatment. I have been uh, on social media for about a year. I met Steph a couple months ago, and uh, I love what you're doing, Steph. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about how you chose to enter the medical profession, kind of what got you to where you are today. Sure. So, when I was younger, I had someone, uh, someone close to me struggle with, with addiction, and I saw the impact that that had on her and on our family. And so I made a commitment at that time, this was when I was in high school, that I was going to be a physician to help people on their road to recovery. I saw uh, my role as a, as a doctor um, being at the time, what I thought would be the best way for me to help people on, on their road to recovery. And um, it was not an easy road to get to medical school. I, uh, as I talk about on social media, was denied by 25 medical schools. It took me nearly two years. And uh, I really went through it, I took the MCAT twice. And uh, it was a long road, but I eventually got to medical school and used the passion I had for addiction to uh, really dive in and learn as much as I can about psychiatry. And fast forward to today, I am currently interviewing for psychiatry residency. That's awesome. For those who don't know what med school is like, unfortunately, we're not all med students listening in. Um, kind of talk us through what I you know you're in your fourth year now. So what are you exposed to over those four years? Obviously, it's a bunch of science E type classes. But as far as maybe choosing specialties like what are you kind of do you get to choose your what your experiences are or is it just kind of all thrown at you yes great question so the way that it works to become a doctor is four years pre-med four years in med school and then three to seven years of residency you're pre-med you're doing all your college classes just like you would for physical therapy uh, except maybe more um more like cell bio and and ochem and Ochem, okay, sure. which literally ripped my heart out and chewed me up into pieces, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Ochem is a living hell, living hell, the worst class I've taken in my life, and uh, to this day, worse than any med school class I ever took. So if you are listening to this and you're in Ochem, just hang in there. Um, but yeah, you take four, uh, four years of, of the prereqs, like very similar to PT, and then you take the MCAT exam. The MCAT exam is a, a big test um, that can make or break you, and once you get into medical school, the first two years are traditionally more of the studying. You're living in the books, you're living in the library, you're putting in 10-hour days, 12-hour days, sometimes more, sometimes less, and really trying to learn as much as you can. It is a particularly grueling two years, and you are studying this entire time for the tests that you take uh, and, the, and the USMLE step one. 
a lot of people just call this exam step one. You typically take this after your second year. The classes that you take up to that point are anatomy, physiology, uh, biochemistry, a lot of the uh, systems, so cardiology, pulmonology, you know, every ology you can think of. And then one day you sit down, you take a, I've honestly suppressed so much of this, so it's hard for me <laughs> to even bring this back, but you take the exam, the, the step one, it's like maybe a nine hour exam and that score, it will be pass fail in a couple of years. So um, that's great. But as of now, that score has a huge uh, determining factor where you end up in your specialty. specialty. It's very important to do well on this exam. And uh, then the third and fourth year you are in, you finally are in the hospital and you're a junior doctor, student doctor, whatever you want to call it. And you go rotation to rotation, psychiatry, uh, OBGYN, pediatrics, family medicine, you go through every single one. And along the way, you just, you are making the conscious decision. Is this what I want to do with the rest of my life? And then eventually uh, towards your fourth year, you would declare, it's not so much a formal process, but you find out what you want to do. And then you start doing which are in that specialty. And I chose psychiatry. That's awesome. So you have so much exposure over those years and really are able to kind of dive into or to figure out by the end kind of what it is exactly that you want to, I guess, specialize in and, or dig deeper in. Um, mm -hmm. Have you, okay, before I say like, have you have any experience in the rehab side of things? What is your definition of a PT or rehab in general? Yeah. So like everyone comes in with certain biases about certain professions. And I will say that I had a positive bias towards PT from day one because my uncle and aunt are PTs. My uncle is a, is a physical therapist. My aunt is a PTA, a, a PT assistant. That's what it's called, mm -hmm. right? PTA. Yep. Yeah. So they, you know, they work, um, my, my aunt works in a, in a pediatric settings with, uh, with children with special needs and my, my uncle has worked with athletes, but now works more in a, in a geriatric population. And uh, I was always blown away when I was a kid and the kind of stuff that they would do. And I would twist my ankle and they would wrap it and they would show me rehab and they would say you know, that we'd work on my posture. I had, I've had low back pain throughout my life. And they were like gurus and uh, the magic, the stuff that they could do. So I always had such high respect for, for physical therapy. And then I was an athlete and still am an athlete, although worse than I was. And, you know, I've sprained my ankles 15 times, knock on wood, no more. And uh, I've, I played lacrosse, cross country track. Um, I've done it all and gone through many injuries and gone through PT myself personally, probably like you know, 16 to 20 weeks throughout my life, maybe more. Actually, recently, I, I went like a month ago for, for my low back. So anyway, I have a lot of exposure to PT. I came into medical school uh, with the idea that you know, I would love to work alongside PT. And I actually dabbled a little bit in the sports med, ortho kind of realm for a bit. Um, PM&R, you know, thought about it. And um, so, yeah, I think you know, I'm kind of rambling here. But personally, I, I love I've had great experience with PT and then professionally I've worked with them throughout medical school in several ways. I love it. And there's no, of course you can say whatever you want. No one's going to get angry. No one's going to get offended. That's just more of a, like, let's see what your opinion kind of is with everything. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that PTs typically only work with patients who are more in pain or have an injury or is it more wide range? Yes. Yeah, so like my initial gut reaction would say, yeah, they, PTs tend to work with people that are injured or 
uh, have some sort of chronic injury or um, struggle to uh, maintain activities of daily living and stuff like that. Uh, but when I think about it more, I, I'm sure there are physical therapists that work with people that are perfectly healthy, but want to maybe improve uh, their their uh, daily living activities mm -hmm. and their and what quality they do. Of life. Yeah, quality of life. There's all these terms that I'm blanking on. <laughs> ADLs. And You're under stuff. pressure. That's why. It's fine. <laughs> like I said, no right or wrong answer. Totally okay. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I just wanted to get like a little gist of what it is exactly that we do. Because I know that's one of the reasons we talked about this before I started recording. Um, but one of the reasons I started the podcast and obviously my page too is like we're working with COVID patients in the hospital. And that's something mm -hmm. that I know a lot of people don't even tend to realize. Um, in medical school, do you get any education? I know like they have the PM&R and more of like the ortho side, but do they do you have a class or even a day where you get more of an in-depth review of what it is like PT, OT, speech, and those kind of professionals do? I can speak only to my medical school. Right. And in my medical school, we did have um, a class slash small group with uh, an interdisciplinary team of an OT a student, a PT student, a nursing student, an uh, MD student, and maybe one or two more. And we were on a sort of long-term project together to work with a specific patient in the area and try to improve his or her life with PT, OT, all these different um, treatment modalities. So I, we did get a little bit of exposure to that, but the most of the exposure came actually in the hospital. And we, when we were actually giving referrals to PT and we take the patient down as a medical student, you take the patient down to PT uh, inpatient and see them walk the patient down the hallway. And that was the real exposure you got. The, the classroom learning didn't do it justice. The, when you're actually in the hospital and you see them working with the patients, that's when you really develop much more of a uh, understanding of what PTs do. Yeah, for sure. Do you plan on, I know you said you want to go into psychiatry. Do you plan on doing more of a private practice or being in a hospital or more inpatient setting? Yeah, I've given it a lot of thought. I, so I have a master's in business. I uh, obviously am interested in business and, and running my own business. So I see myself going one and two paths. One path is more of an outpatient setting where I, I'm in a private practice or group practice and I have my patients and I, maybe I'm, I'm partnering with some other psychiatrists and psychologists and I really build out this practice. On the other hand, I see myself going in more of a leadership role in a hospital setting, maybe an administrative role, becoming a chair of a department or a program director, uh, basically being in an administrative role to help uh, to use business solutions to solve healthcare problems. I see myself going in one of two directions, and maybe there's some sort of room for a combination there. Yeah, I think that's great too, because and that's one of the great things about medicine. You can always like teeter back and forth and if you want to stick with one or the other, then you can choose to fully go into it or vice versa. Or like you said, have a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think we can do better as clinicians, like regardless of the setting, whether it's more of an outpatient setting or inpatient setting, and even from, I guess, a mental health standpoint, just to be more there, I would say, for our patients? That's a good question. So what can we do like as an interdisciplinary approach you mean yeah yeah i think there's a lot of room to work together uh more than we currently are there's i've i'm young and i've only been in this for two years as far as like in the actual hospital mm -hmm. but what i've seen a lot of is there's like sort of these separate 
uh, we'll call them rooms where there's just like, this is where the doctors work. This is where the PTs work. This is where the OTs work. And you don't see as much overlap as you would want to see or that you would hope for. And so I think there's a lot of room for improvement because yeah, a patient, uh, a patient needs to recover and get better, not just from medicine or not just from therapy, but from the whole picture. So yeah, I think what we can do better is especially in training in, um, medical school, PT school, and, and throughout residency is to have like formal didactics or formal education with people in other fields uh, like PT and, and physicians to see how we can work together more in a formal setting. I, 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 that's my best way to answer that question. We just need more mm-hmm. practice and we need more chances to work together before it really matters, before we're actually in the hospital and we have jobs and it's and we're doing it. But when we're in medical school and PT school, we're learning. So let's, let's continue to learn together and work together. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of newer clinicians are really finding out when they enter their work field that there needs to be this constant open dialogue because sometimes we're not all aware of the other's professional skills or like actual, not credentials, but like what exactly we're knowledgeable about doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do kind of, again, I understand you're not fully in the career just yet or into a residency and we're still kind of working with a little experience here. Um, But what's your opinion on, so for me as a clinician in the hospital, getting not necessarily pushback, but maybe like a disagreement with whether it's a resident or an attending that says, I think they should, I think they should go to rehab, but they're saying, no, they can go home. They don't need rehab. They don't need this or vice versa, when there is like a differing opinion? Because obviously we try to advocate, but what do you think from maybe your standpoint, we can do better on both ends? Yeah, that I've seen that occur before. It's tough. There's no one leader. There's no, there's, this is a team. There's no one just saying, I'm making the final call no matter what. Everyone needs to bring their skills and experience to the table. So, you know, I, I don't have a perfect answer for that. My My best answer is that, I wish and hope that people come together and have uh, roundtable discussions when, when, when needed about, because you know, a lot of times there's just misunderstandings. Uh, maybe the physician w- was not fully aware of the, how the patient lived at home and what kind of situation that their home life had. Maybe they didn't have access to blank, blank, and blank, and the PT may know that, but the doctor doesn't know that the PT knows that. So there's just, I think a lot of times there's a miscommunication that can easily be solved with just going to the table and meeting and talking about it. And I have been a part of several interdisciplinary roundtable meetings present, whether they're there or they're there virtually or their, or their family is there over the phone and having these discussions where every single specialty comes and brings their opinion to the table. And then the patient ultimately makes the decision with all of the knowledge that they have with all the specialties they have there. So that's what I'd hope to see more in the future. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And I ultimately it does come down to communication and just overall advocacy. Because I mean, we all have, we all see the same patient, but we might all see them at different parts of their care. So mm-hmm. think of like day one, when it's like maybe their sickest time in the hospital to day three, four or five, and you might be getting a completely different person with different even mobility skills from like a PT standpoint, but also an overall different like persona because they're feeling better or maybe worse. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just something, it's, it's kind of a thing that we need to just create more awareness of 
um, for sure. Absolutely. I want to touch a little bit a bit a bit about again words are hard for me today <laughs> a little bit about the mental health movement um so talk us through kind of why you started it how you started it where it's at now sure so i'll start you know like i mentioned in the beginning of the podcast early on i in my life i did see people um struggle with mental illness and i started um trying to understand what this was all about when I was in college, I had a close friend of mine pass away from suicide. It was a very um, obviously devastating time for us. And I was the first time I saw uh, mental health take that turn. Uh, the, the individual that suffered with addiction ended up getting way better and, and now is, lives a, a healthy, happy life. But this person, they're no longer here. And that's because of mental illness. And that's because of the stigma surrounding mental illness, preventing this person from, from reaching out and letting, letting people know how he was feeling. And it also prevented us from recognizing how he was feeling. It's a two-way street. And so I've just seen the devastation that stigma can cause. Stigma kills thousands, if not millions of people because they're unable to, to, get the treatment that they need. So I was exposed to this in college. And when I got into medical school and became more passionate about psychiatry and mental health, I started a social media platform in, it was uh, January of 2020. My initial goal was to inspire future doctors and help pre-meds in the process of getting into medical school. As I built the account up, I started adding in a little bit of mental health advocacy here and there. And that really started, the account really started to grow. by maybe mid-year 2020, I'd grown to be a, probably about 100,000 followers on TikTok and maybe 10,000 on Instagram. And I built this this platform to be able to speak about mental health from a medical student's perspective, which was pretty unique. I don't think anyone else was really doing it at the time. And as the momentum built, I decided, you know what, how cool would it be if I started a clothing company advocating for mental health so people will be going around wearing clothes that have mental health sayings on them. Uh, one of our sayings is you matter most uh, or mental health movement, break the stigma. We have clothes that represent mental health awareness. And the goal is someone sees that shirt, sees that person as an ally and says, hey, that's a really cool shirt. And then a conversation starts. Then maybe one of them opens up about their mental health. That makes someone else feel comfortable opening up about their mental health. That person seeks treatment. That person saves a life. That's the ultimate goal with all this. And I'm a co-founder with one of my best friends, Zachary Daranowski, who y'all may know from Instagram as MD Motivator. He is my co-founder, uh, also a medical student over in Australia. We've actually never met in, in real life, but we just have the same mission. And you know, then we brought on uh, one of my best friends, James Gillespie, who's our podcast producer. And we started the You Matter Most podcast where we bring on people who are breaking the stigma of mental health in big ways. So this has just been in the last two months, really, where we started this company. And we've already sold over 1,500 shirts. We are, as of today, we've donated $1,716 to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention because every sale of our merch also goes to mental health nonprofits that we, that we work with. It's been one of the most incredible experiences of my life running this company. It's awesome. And I think that's one of the first 
times that I think I, I've only seen you recently on social media was when I feel like this whole thing started picking up or was about to launch. And I was like, wait, this is incredible because I try to even use my platform as a new grad PT. I mean, only been out for about a year, but just when I was a PT student, I hit some pretty low lows. And I think when you're in any type of healthcare profession or going through the grad school process, it can be gruesome as hell. It will chew you up just like organic chemistry will chew you up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think I like was able to totally relate to that. And I think what you're doing with your platform is great because like you said, whether it's the teacher or the sayings, like I think it's super important that it's opening the dialogue to people to start talking about this more so, which needs to be done because that's ultimately how you will help more people. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And that is the ultimate goal is if, and I know this kind of sounds corny and people say this all the time, but if you can save one person, if I can save one person, then it's worth it for me. And uh, I've had hundreds and hundreds of people DM me sharing their stories. I have DMs that say, uh, Jake, thank you for what you've done on TikTok. Because of you, I went to therapy for the first time and um, I'm no longer experiencing suicidal thoughts and I'm really plugged into to therapy. I just want to thank you. Stuff like that, like the followers, the likes, none of that matters. Really, none of that matters. A blue check, none of that matters. If someone is actually having their life positively impacted because of you on social media, that's what it's all about. It's incredible. I have chills. I'm not, you guys can't see me, but I'm nodding my head in agreement just because I think it's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's amazing. And yeah, you are truly impacting so many people and I commend you for that. And it's, it's an achievement truly. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about what we can do. Well, actually, before we get what we can do into what we can do as healthcare professionals, how have, have you experienced um, anything about with like your mental health or another close, maybe fellow med student? Because I think that burnout is a huge topic that also needs to kind of be addressed when we're students and even as we're entering the field as new clinicians. Um, and I know I even saw one of your videos about a statistic about med students being depressed. So what do you think we can do as students to kind of recognize and break the stigma kind of before we even get out into the professions? Yeah, uh, great point. Um, yeah, the stat you're probably referring to is that one in four medical students worldwide struggle with depression at some point in their training. Um, that was alarming to me. I think in the general population that it's, I want to say one in nine lifetime prevalence. It, actually, it could be higher. Uh, actually, forget that stat. I, I'm confident about the one in four medical students, uh, which is higher than the general population for sure. Uh, that's one in four people in medical school are going to be depressed. One of the symptoms of depression is suicide ideation. So, and the, the same article, which I, I, I wish I would have brought this because I would have cited it exactly, but um, one in four medical students are depressed, one in nine have suicide ideation. So that means one in nine medical students sometime in their training have thought about suicide. That is so alarming, so scary. These are doctor, future doctors that are supposed to be the healers and the ones that are helping others. But we're human beings too. And we suffer immensely in this process. There are, I have seen probably 10 people 
pass away in medical school all in the last six months. And I don't mean medical students, I mean patients. So I've been in, you know, codes and I've seen, I've gone in one day and talked to a patient and come back the next day and they're no longer there. And if there's not a wellness curriculum slash process group slash way for people to grieve and 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 talk about loss then this just continues to build up and build up and build up and that's what causes burnout and that's what contributes to depression and a lot of other mental illness that you see in not only doctors but nurses pts and everyone in in healthcare so you know i don't have a perfect answer what what i try to do with the platform i have is to let people know that hey we're struggling too we need help just as patients need help and people need help. We are, we are people and doctors can be patients too. We need the resources to be able to cope with this. And now more than ever during COVID-19 when there people are passing away at an alarming rate. Um, so I hope I answered your question. I, we really just need the resources and, and, and uh, the stigma of a, of a doctor not struggling with mental health because they're this professional who's you know been through it. And that doesn't, that's not the reality. Uh, we are human beings too. I think that's such a great point because you ha- that's what you have to remember is, you know, you're worrying so much about your patients or your future patients or everyone else around you. And you also have to really take time for yourself and realize that, yes, you are human too, exactly like you said this is, you need to take care of yourself almost before you can take care of anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, that needs to start while we're students. And I know that it was not talked about to any of my classmates, myself, when I was a student. And I had to seek out a lot of resources on my own. And I even had, fun fact, a teacher, two teachers tell me, asked me if I was dyslexic because I kept making careless mistakes on my tests. And I was like, no, I'm overly burnt out and stressed that I'm literally just like fried and can't think. Mm-hmm. Um, also very weird correlation because it's not like, no, that's just regardless. It was just a very weird thing to say to someone. Um, and instead of saying someone saying, oh, are you okay? Like, is there something mm-hmm. going on? They were trying to put a diagnosis on me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, frustrating. Yeah. So I think just, you know, and no one, none of my classmates until I found like my core group of friends in class, like really were supportive because no one else, not everyone is dealing with it. You do have to face that fact, but there are people who are. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of also search through the grapevine to actually make sure you're getting the help that you need or should be getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll I'll add to that. You you had said something along the lines of you got to take care of yourself first. That is our saying at mental health movement this was created by my co-founder zach you matter most that line is synonymous and let's use the metaphor of when you're in a plane and and you can't there's there's low oxygen and the the oxygen you know things come down the masks come down and you're not supposed to help somebody else until you help yourself first because you're going to run out of air if you start helping out that person next to you you need to protect yourself first you matter most uh that's what has really resonated with with our community that we've built and um i forget what i was going to say after that but you matter most do you receive any um tools or resources as medical students regarding whether it's burnout or just mental health in general 
They do exist. Um, could it be improved? Yes. I think, um, especially early on during the, f- the first year, I wish there was a little more um, emphasis on, on wellness and education about what uh, depression may look like or anxiety may look like from a medical student's perspective. Because uh, yes, medical students are, are human and people just like everybody else, but there's more pressure on us with the amount of studying we have to do. And, you know, this goes for students in all, a, a bunch of different fields, law students, PT students, nursing students. Um, I think that sometimes the symptoms of depression may be masked by the pressures of having to perform. So, you know, it's not normal or expected for a human to study and stare at a screen for 15 hours a day. So, you know, the, 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 the general person on, on, on the street working a regular job is not doing that. And that's, that's not, no negative connotation towards the person working a regular job. It's just they're not studying 15 hours a day. And so we need to have the tools to be able to say, I think that something's wrong. I might actually be anxious or depressed here. This is not normal. I haven't slept. And it's not because I'm studying 15 hours a day. I, I can't fall asleep. I, I, I have insomnia. I feel jittery. I haven't eaten. Uh, some of those can just be like, oh, you're just a med student. You're just a PT student. It's just school. Well, no, maybe I'm actually depressed and maybe I actually need to get linked up to treatment and maybe I need medication and therapy. And that, and that may change my life. So uh, I think just early education and having the resources at your disposal and also being able to have the funds out of medical school so that the student is not paying out of pocket for services like this and that you know some schools may have that some don't some programs may have that and some may not but i'll tell you what if i ever am leading a program or a hospital or a school no student will ever have to pay for any mental health or, or physical health services yeah that's truly important and that's such a barrier for so many people um, especially when you're in maybe like less populated more suburbia rural areas and there's less providers to even support you to begin with mm-hmm. um Fortunately, now maybe uh, coming out of the pandemic, we can support more telehealth options so that people mm-hmm. have more access. And I think that's a huge thing that's going to be coming from a bunch of professionals. So definitely some, hopefully some positives coming out of this year. Um, yes. Switching gears a little bit, aside from using social media as for the mental health movement platform, I know you started your pages before we started, you started the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you plan on using social media going forward as a healthcare professional? And like, even after you're done with med school and now a doctor? Yeah, good point. So I thought about that a lot. My mission will stay true. My mission is to inspire future doctors and advocate for mental health. I will continue this mission and continue growing my platform, continue reaching particularly a younger generation, Gen Z you know, if we just go into my analytics, like the majority of my followers are probably, you know, 13 to 20. Uh, and that is a generation that I believe is suffering from mental health at a much higher rate than maybe some other generations, or maybe they're just more open about it. Not sure. It could be a combination. Uh, I can't imagine growing up with a cell phone at my disposal, being eight years old and being able to go on Facebook and see re- unrealistic expectations. And they're not even using Facebook, honestly. They go on you know, Instagram or TikTok and seeing unrealistic expectations blasted at me from eight, eight years old and 
you know, I have a six-year-old niece who's downstairs right now, who I'm going to go hang out with after this, who has TikTok, who sees, you know, is doing dances and listening to music um, that we would have listened to when we were 13 or 14. And so I just think that this generation is going through a lot. And can you imagine being in, going to elementary school or middle school during COVID-19 and being in and out and you're on virtual and they just go through a lot and these it's a lot. Yeah. And they really seem to resonate with my content. So what I continue doing is really advocating for them, uh, providing uh, end game. I, I mean, where I want to be in a couple of years is eventually I want to have my own nonprofit. I want mental health movement to be a nonprofit as well as an LLC corporation. So it's, uh, it's a business, but then instead of donating to different nonprofits every month, we donate to the mental health movement nonprofit, which I hope to be, a, a organization that provides therapy to people in this in this demographic that that need it the most and that that's my ultimate goal and i'm far away from that and there's millions of things to learn along this journey of how to run a company and i, I can go on for days on the stuff that i've learned along the way but that is the ultimate goal is, is to build my own nonprofit out and help people get therapy that normally would never have the option to it's incredible, truly, really is. And it's it's inspiring to watch and see kind of the beginning of it. So I'm very excited for you and for the whole brand and to see kind of where it goes for the future. Thank you, um, Steph. Any final tips that you have for students, whether that's med students, PT students, just whether it's about mental health or what we touched on earlier about the interdisciplinary approach, any final words? Uh, yeah, I'll say a couple of things. It's a long road to get here. And you may be listening and thinking like, wow, he's done so much. But the reality is five years ago, I had none of this. I, was, I had no med school acceptance. I was denied for a second year. I was driving Uber, trying to make some money just to, to pay rent, living in, a, in my college town in a dark place and, and just feeling like I'm the only one that still believed in my dream of being a doctor. And uh, I know what it's like to, to fail. And I know what it's like to feel like the odds are stacked against you, but fast forward just five years and I'm a few months away from getting an MD. I have an MBA. I'm CEO of my dream company. All of this has happened in just a short amount of time and none of this would have happened if I gave up. So stick with it. Keep your head down, keep grinding, but don't be afraid to come up and, and breathe every once in a while because it could be a, a dark place when you're in a, in a dark time like that. I love that. That was, oof, I felt that right in the feels. <laughs> that was awesome. All right, Jake, if people have questions for you and want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to reach you? Where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram uh, at jakegoodman.med. They can find me on TikTok at jakegoodman.med. You can um, follow me on um, my, my mental health movement account, mentalhealth.movement on Instagram. I just started on YouTube or mental health movement on YouTube as well. Uh, two podcasts, Destination Healthcare podcast and the new podcast, You Matter Most. And then my MySpace and my AOL <laughs> at uh, LaxPlayer911. <laughs> I think that was my, my AOL. Those my were aim. the... Those were the days. See, that's what I think the new kids are not going to appreciate. We've kind of evolved with everything. We went from the really gritty, grainy photos and the really weird layouts from the MySpace days all the way to like the surgeons of what we have now. 
and the away messages. Remember the away messages on AIM? If like, you didn't have AIM and you didn't have like the door opening and closing every time you signed in and out, I don't know what you were doing with your life. Uh, we're getting old. <laughs> we're really showing our age here. <laughs> All right, guys, you heard it here first. Thank you so much, Jake, for coming on the podcast today. And you guys know where to find him if you have any questions. Thanks for having me, Steph. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.